This morning we are going to continue in our sermon series. Uh, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Strength in weakness. We're going to be in 2 Corinthians uh, for most of the first part of this year. But before we begin the sermon, uh, this morning, as I mentioned last week, uh, we're going to be doing some memory verses again uh, this time around. And so we're going to be memorizing uh, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, verses 9 and 10. Those verses are on your screen. And so here's the deal. I'm going to read them through one time for us this morning. And if you've begun to memorize, maybe you can close your eyes and say them along. Starting next week, we're going to start taking words away. Uh, and we're going to start challenging ourselves to actually uh, really commit these verses to memory because they sum up very well and very succinctly for us the message of 2 Corinthians. So 2 Corinthians 12 uh, verses 9 and 10. Uh, Paul's writing says about Jesus, but Jesus, he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And then Paul says, therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardship, persecutions and calamities for when I am weak then I am strong so those are our memory verses we hope that uh, together we'll we'll keep working on those over the next couple of months uh, this morning we want to talk about affliction uh, and pa and, uh, and uh, comfort affliction and comfort uh, but I want us to think first about affliction what comes to mind when you hear that word I've got a couple images on the on the screen for you that uh, reflect my ideas uh, of affliction. There's a sense of weight. Uh, there's a sense of, of darkness. There's a sense of isolation. So if I were to ask you this morning, uh, where are you feeling affliction in your life? And because technology is so cool, you could actually hit the pause button right now. And you could think about it on your own, or you could have a conversation within your, uh, the group that's together, if you're worshiping together with your family or, or with a friend or two, and ask that question around the, the circle. What affliction are you feeling this morning? That's what we're going to consider uh, in 1 Corinthians, excuse me, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. Uh, hear the word of God. Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy our brother to the church of God that is in Corinth with all the saints who are in the whole of Achaia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we will share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation, and if we are comforted, it is for your comfort which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. For we do not want you to be ignorant, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. 
For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But, there were, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. This is the reading of God's holy and perfect word to him alone be glory. Let's pray together. Father, if we were going to sum up uh, the year 2020, uh, perhaps affliction would be the best word we could use. Father, as we consider the notion this morning of affliction, but also the notion of comfort and how that works in the life of your followers, of those who belong to you through the Lord Jesus, we ask that you would teach us. Father, in many respects, I have a, a vision of affliction and comfort that's very worldly centered. It's a very human idea, and, and my mind needs to be transformed. My understanding needs to continually be changed so that I embrace your definition of affliction, your approach to comfort, that it might not only impact my life, but that it might be used in my life by you to care for others. So Father, we thank you for uh, the life through which you led the Apostle Paul and the affliction you brought into his life, because that's going to speak to us today. Lord Jesus, we thank you that, that, that in your sufferings, you redeemed us, that it was actually through the, the paramount affliction of history, the cross of Christ, that we are saved. And so Lord, we pray that you would teach us Father, as always, I ask that you would look into my heart, forgive any sin there, whether it be pride or laziness, whatever it may be, Lord, that would keep us from understanding your word this morning. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would teach us. We pray in your name. Amen. All right, how are we going to sum up this uh, topic of affliction and comfort? Well, our sermon in a sentence is this. Uh, if we are disciples of Jesus, so Jesus' disciples, we must learn to view affliction from a biblical perspective if it is to accomplish what God intends in our lives and in the lives of our fellow believers. Now, you hear the word affliction in there, you don't hear the word comfort, uh, but it's understood in the second part of uh, that sermon in a sentence. So what we're going to deal with this morning is the notion of affliction and what does the Bible say? about his affliction. What does the Bible teach us about affliction? And therefore, how does that help us understand God's comfort? And then what that means in our relationships with one another. So before we jump into this, we're going to define some terms. So we're going to, we're going to set aside the passage for just a second. We're going to go back and we want to make sure we understand what a couple of words mean and what they don't mean. So let's start with affliction. Affliction, as Paul uses this word in 2 Corinthians, means suffering. It means pressure. It means a stress that comes from living in a fallen and broken world and or also pressure that comes from being persecuted for our faith. 
So when Paul uses the term affliction, he's using it in a very common way. He's using it in a way that that happens on a regular basis. Did you feel pressure last week because you live in a fallen, broken world? Did you feel a, a weight of anxiety in your life because things are not exactly right? Uh, then you are dealing with affliction as Paul uses the term in this passage. What Paul isn't saying here, what affliction doesn't mean here, is something that is what I would call in, in my own language, a self-inflicted wound. So for perhaps I have financial woes in January because I was very undisciplined in December by the way I spent my money during the Christmas season. And I spent more money than I should have. Perhaps I, I used my credit card and I spent more money than I have. And then I say, woe is me, I'm in affliction. That's not how Paul's using the term. My lack of self-discipline, my, my lack of wisdom is not the same as affliction. I can't blame that on someone else. Uh, I'll give one other personal example. If Cindy and I are struggling in our relationship because I'm not loving her the way Christ calls me to love her, which is unequivocally the same way he loves his church. If I'm being selfish in my relationship with Cindy, if I'm being mean-spirited in my relationship with Cindy, and she's not reacting in a very good way, I can't say, oh my goodness, I'm suffering affliction in my marriage. I need to look in the mirror and say, Tom, you need to, need to straighten some things out. So affliction are things that happen uh, in the world and they're very common to all believers. Uh, but they're not the same as self-inflicted wounds, self wounds. The second word that we want to look at for just a minute is this notion of comfort. And again, it's very important to understand what we're not saying and what we are saying. So I'm going to flip it this time. What are we not saying? What's Paul not saying when he uses this particular word in 2 Corinthians? He's not talking about rescuing us out of the problems that we face. He's not talking about the notion of my life will be happy when this affliction abates, when it subsides, when it goes away. He's not talking about figuring out how I can protect myself and keep affliction out there at bay, uh, nor is he talking about a way to insulate against affliction. Affliction is going to happen. It's going to happen. It happens in the lives of believers and it happens in the lives of unbelievers. Now it has very two different purposes in the lives of believers versus unbelievers. We're just talking about disciples of Jesus this morning. But the goal of the Christian is not to avoid affliction, not to avoid that pressure and just living in a, in a fallen and broken world. Rather, comfort here is akin to how Jesus uses the word when he promises his disciples that he's going to send the comforter to them. And this comforter is one, and this comfort in this passage means that we will be strengthened. It means that those who follow the Lord Jesus will be empowered to face the day. Not that we will avoid the day, but that we will have strength for that moment because we have strength in Christ, which is what we're going to see. It has a stabilizing impact on our lives. It equips us with might. And so those are the terms. So we're gonna be looking at affliction in terms of suffering, kind of in, the, in a normal broken world, and comfort uh, that strengthens, that empowers, that stabilizes. So 
two points this morning. Now that I've done all of that, you're, you're probably glad there aren't four or five points. Two points this morning. The first is this. What does it mean to have a biblical perspective? We're going to look at these verses and, and basically say, what is it teaching? What can I take away? What can I kind of put in my pocket here that I can understand from a biblical perspective? And then the follow-up then is, okay, if that's the perspective, why? What's its intended purpose? Uh, so what's the biblical perspective and what's its purpose? Let's talk about perspective for just a moment. First of all, biblical perspective means that affliction is allowed in our lives by our Heavenly Father. Look at verses 3 uh, and 4 of chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who, God, our Father, comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those with any affliction with that same comfort. We are comforted by God. So there are a couple of titles here, Father of Mercies. When you think about a parent and you think about their compassion for their children. You think about how, how parents are merciful with their children. Uh, we let our kids make mistakes growing up. We let them suffer consequences for mistakes they made, but there's also mercy there. Uh, and, and the reason sometimes why, su why we allow suffering to come into the lives of our children is actually a merciful act on our part because it's going to strengthen them. So uh, a biblical perspective understands that God isn't absent somewhere else. Our father is not ignoring us. He's busy somewhere. And this affliction snuck in the back door when he wasn't looking. But rather he is sovereign over that because he is also the God of all comfort. So you talk about a father, and I think in, in some ways you're talking about attitude, right? How does a parent look at their child? There's that attitude. But we talk about a God of comfort, you're talking about ability. This is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. This is, this is God Almighty, and he is able to comfort us. So our first perspective is that affliction is allowed into our lives by our Father. The second is this, affliction and comfort are a part of our natural relationship with the Lord Jesus. Look at verse 5. For as we share abundantly, not a little bit, not just a touch here, a touch there, but as we, you'd almost say, as we share day by day in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in his comfort too. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're going to share in his afflictions. What were his afflictions? Well, if you read the Gospels pretty carefully, you see that Jesus suffered from the same brokenness in the world we do. He had friends who didn't love him very well all the time. He had people who completely misunderstood and misrepresented his message. He had people, if he said blue uh, or if he said black, they said white. If he said up, they said down. People that were his enemies. Jesus was afflicted moment by moment, day by day in his life. He was afflicted with people who, who wouldn't believe, people who were antagonistic against him. He was afflicted with hunger, 40 days in the wilderness, fasting without eating. He was afflicted by temptation from the evil one. The author of Hebrews says that, that our, uh, our king, our Prince Jesus, suffered in every way just as we do. So my affliction and your affliction along with the comfort that we receive think about jesus in the garden and how and how an angel of the lord appeared to him and comforted him 
when he was facing the moment of going to the cross. That affliction and that comfort are not unnatural. They're actually very natural. They're very much a part of my life. When I'm suffering affliction, I shouldn't say, God, why on earth is this happening? I should say, Father, give me your perspective in this affliction. Thirdly, it's not only allowed by our Father and part of our natural relationship with Jesus, but affliction and comfort are part of our community relationships. Look at verse 6. Paul's talking about he and Timothy, a couple of his buddies, the, the, the folks who were caring for the Christians in Corinth. So uh, your servant leaders, so to speak. Uh, you know, if we as your servant leaders are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same suffering that we suffer. What is Paul saying there? He's saying that there's a relational aspect of this. That Paul understood that as a church planter, as a pastor, as an elder, as a leader in the church of Jesus Christ, when he suffered and when he experienced God's comfort, that could serve as an example to others. That we weren't in isolation when we face affliction, but rather we, we go through affliction in a community and part of that community of faith we're going to come back to this in a few minutes, is a younger part of the community of faith. Paul knew there were a lot of young believers at Corinth. They were all younger than him. And that they were watching him very, very carefully. You ever watch a child, watch their parent, watch their mom or watch their dad, and then they mimic them, then they do what, they, what the parent was doing? Paul understood that. And he so as we are afflicted, we want to have the mind of Christ in that suffering because we know it will minister to you. Ray Stedman great theologian of the 20th century, talks about this community aspect of suffering. He says this, once again, suffering is sent to us to show us that we are not individuals living all alone in life. We are members of a family. We're members of a body and we need each other. When you have a difficulty or a trial, share with others so that they can pray with you. For many prayers will bring great deliverance. We'll see that in verse 11 in just a few minutes. That is what the verse says. In answer to many prayers, God will send a blessing which will awaken thanksgiving in many, many hearts. Why? Because people will be encouraged as they see us coming through the affliction. So Stedman wraps up by saying, Paul says, therefore, pray for us so that there will be great thanksgiving and great blessing. I want to give one other uh, example, and that is John Knox, the great uh, theologian, one of the great theologians of the Reformation. John Knox was closing, uh, getting close to... Uh, his death and he was very very weak and he was very very ill uh, and during that time just a few days before he died uh, he struggled to get out of bed and preach a sermon and I'm gonna read it for you it's in kind of the, the old English so to speak but I think you'll be able to follow uh, one of his associates writes this mr. Knox a little before his death rose out of his bed and being asked wherefore being so sick he would offer to rise he answered that he had sweet meditations on the resurrection of Jesus Christ that night. And now he would go into the pulpit and impart to others the comfort that he felt in his soul. That's a beautiful piece of living in affliction is that we have the opportunity to share with others our confidence and the comfort that we have received through Christ. Thinking biblically, about affliction and comfort is understanding that there's a community 
aspect to it. Fourthly, we also understand that disciples are not supermen and superwomen. Disciples are not above despair. Look at what Paul says in verse 8 and the first part of verse 9. We do not want you to be ignorant, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. Listen to this carefully. We were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. That is, that is the strongest language possible. Paul is saying there that if you want to put it just the, the, the most stark modern terms, Paul's saying we were suicidal. We were despairing of life itself. We didn't see a reason to go on. That's how overwhelmed we were. Now, we could ask the question, what was Paul suffering? What was happening in his life that made him so despondent? And a lot of folks have weighed in on this question as they've studied these verses. And there, there are several different answers. You know, talk, Paul talks about fighting wild beasts when he's in Ephesus. Uh, he talks about being in prison and beaten for his faith. Uh, there are a lot of reasons uh, that we can see in the book of Acts where Paul uh, felt the sting of affliction. I would suggest perhaps go back and read Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19, that speaks of Paul's ministry in Ephesus. Paul was in ministry in Ephesus for a couple of years. The, the church was growing, the church was thriving, and then all of a sudden it just went crazy. And there was a riot in Ephesus and everything came flying apart and Paul had to literally flee for his life. Can you imagine being uh, a successful church planter and seeing a thriving Christian community growing right before your very eyes and then seeing people come in and try to destroy it from the ground up? That, that wouldn't be a little sad. That wouldn't be a, a little bothersome. That would absolutely uh, undo you. It certainly would have the potential for that. So I think perhaps it was what was going on in Acts 19, but whatever the case, I think sometimes as disciples, we're either too hard on ourselves and also too hard on others, or we just try to ignore and suppress our circumstances. Both Cindy and I would say, my wife Cindy and I would both say, there have been moments of despair in our lives. And it wasn't before we knew Jesus. Well after we came to Christ in faith, there have been moments in ministry, uh, not dozens and dozens, but there have certainly been moments in our ministry, more than a couple, where either I have felt or she has felt or we felt together, what's the use? This is just too hard. And I want to encourage us to not, uh, when that experience happens to us, to not believe the lie that, oh, well, that's a Christian would never think that way. The Apostle Paul, thought Jesus sweat great drops of blood the night before he went to the cross. His heart was in great agony. Don't put upon yourself a mantle of responsibility that is not yours to carry. Now, I would also encourage us not to uh, lose our perspective as we, as we struggle, that there is hope, there is comfort. But... Christians are not above, disciples are not above despair. And that's a biblical perspective that I think we need to understand. And then the last and the first point is this. Prayers for one another is a crucial thing that God uses to bring his comfort during affliction. Verse 11, you must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. Let me, let me come back 
to Stedman for just a second. This is the reason for prayer, for request for prayer, for sharing our needs with one another, for enlisting the aid of others and praying us through the times of pressure. There's that notion of pressure. As we ought to be ready to respond to those who are going through pressure with prayer for them ourselves. So it's, it's, it's two ways. Now that is the way the Christian community ought to respond to stress and pressure and to difficulties and trials and disasters. God has sent them. He has allowed them to come as opportunities that we might learn this amazing secret of inner life, inner comfort, inner peace that can keep our hearts quiet even though we are going through troubled times. God's vision, his plan, his direction for affliction is in order that we might not avoid it and that we might not run to the world to create some kind of comfort that's unhealthy, but rather that we can rest in our relationship with him and know that he will give us comfort. But if that's the case, then where does it go? What does it do? What, why, does, why does God set it up that way? What's the intended purpose? You know, you, you, you know your heart takes in blood, but you also know your heart pumps out blood, right? It's a, it's a cyclical deal. And if all your heart does is take the blood in, it's going to burst and, and you're going to die. If all your heart does is pump blood out and it doesn't take it in, the, it, it's not going to burst, but you're, you're still in a big, big problem. If your arteries are blocked, is the blood's trying to flow into your heart. God's comfort comes into our lives, but part of the intention of that is that the comfort then would flow out to others. What's the intended purpose? Well, first it identifies the portion of God's role in our lives and it teaches us where to place our trust. Now, this isn't everything that God does in our lives, but this is a big part of what God does in our lives. Let me take you back to verse three and four. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Well, he's the one in verse four who does what? Comforts us in all our affliction so that we may bring comfort to any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves have been comforted by God. He's the author of comfort. I don't take my comfort to care for my friends. I take the comfort that God has given me and I share that with others. So I need to understand that part of God's intended purpose is that I see him for who he is. There are times when I can misunderstand. There are times when I've cried out to God, God, you know, why are you leaving me alone? Why aren't you paying attention to what's going on in my life? God, why, why did you turn your back on me? Is that why this hardship is happening? And God needs to remind me in those moments, Tom, I'm right here. I haven't gone anywhere. You got to learn that lesson, son. That's an important, that's an important part of your teaching to know that I don't take you out of the affliction. I go through it with you and I give you the strength to endure and I comfort you in that process. So it helps me. Uh, part of this intended purpose is it reminds me who my father is. Secondly, it brings relational purpose to our trials. Uh, verse four and verse six. Why, did, why is part of this happen? God comforts us in our affliction. Why? That we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. Down to verse six. If we're afflicted, it's for your comfort and salvation. And if we're comforted, it is for your comfort. Paul is reminding us here that there is a relational purpose to our trials, that we can care for others. 
Paul can, can take those experiences and when, he, when he's eventually going to get back to Corinth here after he's written this letter to them and, and they're going to say, Paul, tell me about this experience. Tell me about that experience. Well, well, I've been struggling lately, Paul, but it sounds like you've gone through the same thing. How can I learn from you? And Paul, Paul will be used by God in those relationships with the folks in his life to care well for them. So I said to you a few moments ago that both Cindy and I have struggled from time to time in these afflictions. And there have been moments of despair. But you know what, when somebody comes to me now, and I would, uh, you know, Cindy and I haven't talked about this, but I imagine it's true with her as well. Somebody comes to us now and says, I'm really in despair. I feel like I've got to, I feel like I want to give up. I don't sit there and go, gosh, I just don't know how to, I've never had that experience. I'm so sorry you're not super Christian like I am. I can say to them, I genuinely understand that. I get it. It makes sense to me. It's, it's happened to me. And then I can share with them some of my experiences. And hopefully in doing so, a younger Christian might say, oh, well, if there's hope for Tom, there's hope for me. <laughs> and I really hope that's the case. And I believe that's part of God's intended purpose. Because there are older brothers and sisters in the faith that have helped me. And now I'm in a place where I have the opportunity to help younger brothers and sisters in Christ. And I believe that's part of the relational aspect of, of our trials. But also, it's to develop a maturity of faith in our life. Look at verses 9 and 10 with me, if you would. Paul says, we felt like we had the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves but on God who raises the dead. Paul remembered the power of God that brought Jesus back to life that sealed your salvation and my salvation. He delivered us from such deadly peril and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. There is a maturity of faith there, brothers and sisters, that we need to see and it comes only through those moments of affliction. So I want us to think for a couple of minutes. Uh, the staff has been studying a book by a guy named Pete Scazzera called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. Uh, and I'm gonna take a couple minutes here as we, as we begin to move towards the end of the sermon to think out loud with you about what it means to mature, what it means to grow up in our faith. So if you think it just in natural terms, we've got a couple baby pictures there on the screen. One looks pretty happy, the other looks not too well. But if you are an infant, you know, others are the ones that have to take care of you and you pretty much demand, uh, you know, that your needs be met on your terms. And whatever's bothering that little one in the top part of that picture, I'm, I don't think it's that the mom's doing something terribly wrong. I just think it, that the infant wants something else and they want it now and they're going to scream till they get it. And that, you know, you, nobody looks at a baby and goes, well, stop acting that way. Don't, don't be a baby. That's how babies are. And there are baby Christians. There are baby Christians that, that don't understand the, 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 the deeper things of the faith. They've, they're just getting started. And so it's no surprise that, that uh, uh, an, an affliction that comes their way may be pretty overwhelming. And they need someone to care for them. But are we growing in our faith? And are we helping those, those little tiny ones, no matter what their age, are we helping them understand to grow uh, and mature in their faith. Second one, if you go from being an infant, you go to being a child. And again, we've got uh, a variety of emotions here uh, on the screen. We've got a very happy young lady and then a, a little guy who's not happy at all, a little gal who 
uh, I, I, I think I'd want to move across the room from, from those two. But a child, what do you think about when you think about children? Well, you know what, they're, they're pretty content when they're happy, but under stress, they can, they can come apart pretty quickly. You know, we, we might say they have a, a temper tantrum. Why? Well, because things aren't going their way and they haven't yet learned how to control uh, those emotions. They tend to be easily hurt. Uh, they they, they uh, kind of complain, they can run away, they can go and hide, they can, uh, they can withdraw. I remember when I was about six years old, I packed my things and I announced to my mother, I'm running away. And my mom was a pretty smart woman and she said, you can run as far as you want to, just don't cross the street. <laughs> and so I did a big square around the block and all of a sudden I was back at my house and I thought, well, this running away isn't all it's cut out to be. So I went back inside and had supper and I unpacked my things. My mom was pretty smart there, but you would say that's, if I did that today, if I said, Cindy, I've had it and I'm running away, she would say, why are you being so childish? And again, as believers, we have, we have children, and I just mean physical children, but that's kind of the next step of faith. And a child doesn't always understand uh, affliction. And a child may want to just run away from it and, and think there's something wrong with everybody else and, and not look at it for what it truly is. And they need an older believer to come alongside. Well, the next one we have, uh, obviously, four. The next would be the adolescent. And adolescents, they're, they're, they're growing and they are maturing. They're processing a wider range of experiences and people. You think about when you're in middle school, when you're in high school, your world begins to expand. You begin to learn to live in cooperation with a, a different group of people uh, than you've known before. Uh, but you're also still pretty tender and still kind of green behind the, you know, behind the ears when it comes to experience. And so you feel threatened by criticism. Uh, you can pretty quickly blame others. That, that young man there looks like he maybe is getting a little bit of a talking to by dad, and yet he doesn't seem to be thinking that, that it's his fault. He's got those arms folded, and he's pretty sure, if I'm reading his mind right, uh, that this is, you know, he's in this pickle because of somebody else. Uh, also a preoccupation uh, with self, uh, critical and judgmental. And there are Christians that are adolescents, and they're growing. And they're beginning to understand more about the faith, but affliction comes along and, and they, they maybe feel threatened or they, they, they don't want to take responsibility for it. And so uh, they tend to be critical of others. And so the growth is wonderful, but it needs to continue. It can't stop there. I love this Tim uh, Keller quote where he says, uh, when you're not absorbed in yourself, you can feel the sadness of the world. And as a community of believers, we need to feel one another's sadness if we're going to bring the comfort with which we've been comforted. So older believers can bring adolescents along as well. And then there's an adult stage, uh, so to speak, in discipleship. And it's a disciple that I, I think in, in some specific ways uh, takes responsibility uh, for their own feelings, for their own words, for their own actions. They, they have more of a respect for others with whom uh, they disagree. Uh, they become more and more aware of their limitations. The, and when I say strengths there, I'm not, uh, I'm not going against our sermon series, strength and weakness, but God gives us strengths, talents, abilities he wants us to use for his kingdom. So as I grow in my faith, I understand more about my limitations and more about my strengths, but also my weakness. Uh, there tends to be a graciousness there when others make mistakes 
There's more of a Christ-likeness there that, that is a patience, perhaps, that we didn't have before. There's a, a capacity to resolve conflict. There's some, there's some mature aspects of my personality. Now, there are, two, there are three pictures on the screen right now. I want to give you a quote from two of those three. Uh, the first one is Mike Tomlin, who is the coach of the Pittsburgh Steelers. And Mike Tomlin, a few years ago, about, about three years ago, was criticized that he wasn't really doing his job in the locker room and preparing his team. Uh, and so he was, in a, he was in a press conference and he was asked about this. And here's what he said, right, I mean, it just came right out of his mouth, just like that. I accept responsibility. I'm the one who fosters and develops every aspect of our culture as a team. That's leadership. You, you embrace and respect and honor all aspects of it. So there's a maturity level there with Coach Tomlin that's a great example. He didn't say, you know, the players aren't cooperating with me. He didn't say management and give me the type of player I need. He said, my locker room, I accept responsibility for it. The other one was General Dwight D. Eisenhower. He wrote two notes the day before D-Day, the night before D-Day, which is the invasion into France in World War II in 1944. The first note uh, that he would, uh, he would send out if things went well was a note that said, we've landed, we've gotten a foothold, and we're on our way. He wrote a second note, and the second note spoke to failure. And it said this, before, any, before the landings took place, our landings in Cherbourg, uh, area have failed to gain a satisfactory foothold and I've withdrawn our troops. My decision to attack at this time is, and place was based upon the best information available. The troops, the air, and the Navy did all that bravery and devotion to duty could do. If any blame or fault attaches to the attempt, it is mine alone. There's a maturity there there is a level of leadership there that is, is, is pretty deep and is, and is pretty abiding. And I, those are human examples, but they speak to the need in the church of Jesus Christ for us to grow in our faith, and we grow through affliction. God's intended purpose of affliction is that as we are comforted and we have that experience, those of us who are getting older in our faith and more mature in our faith can pass that along to the next generation. So Anne Lamott, you see uh, this quote here, which is a bit poetic, but it says this, uh, love falls to the earth, rises from the ground, pulls around the afflicted. Love pulls people back to their feet. Bodies and souls are fed. Bones and lives heal. New blades of grass grow from charred soil. The sun rises. I think what Lamott is saying there is that for those of us who experience those hardships and God has brought us through them, we now have the opportunity to, to come in almost through the fire, singed, so to speak, to bring those experiences to the soil of our younger believers, our younger brothers and sisters, and help them understand God's purpose of affliction and God's promise of comfort. So how are we going to apply this? Real quick, because I know I've gone long, and then we're going to get out of here. The first is this. i got four of them real quick. Am I thinking biblically about affliction and comfort? I simply want to ask you to do this. Go back and read the first 11 verses of 2 Corinthians 1. 
and gain an understanding of the biblical definition of affliction and then hold that up as a mirror to your life. So that's first application. Am I thinking biblically about affliction and comfort? Secondly, where's my spiritual and emotional maturity level as a follower of Jesus? So if you became a Christian over Advent season and you're brand new, you're a baby. And I'm not saying that in a mean-spirited way. You're an infant in Christ. We don't expect you to have the wisdom of someone who's been a believer for 20 years. But if I, if, if when I went through those levels of maturity, if you were starting out thinking I'm a mature adult, but you were seeing some of the childishness that is still in your life, it gives you a chance to reflect on that. I, I will be very honest with you when I went through it. I'm like, okay, Tom, we got to take some stuff back to the Lord here and pray and ask that God will continue to grow me in my faith because I can still be a little bit childish. But we need to do a good assessment and, and an honest because we're saved by grace so we can honestly assess this. So where's, where am I? And maybe it's a little bit of a couple different levels. Thirdly, how has God provided comfort to me through Jesus and my fellow disciples? Where are the places in my life where God has blessed me in my affliction by the folks around me who have cared well for me? Give thanks for that. Just take, and maybe call them up this afternoon or text them or Zoom them or whatever you want to do and let them know that they have meant something to you, that they've helped you grow in your faith. But I think a great application would be to dwell on that a little bit and to remember how God has comforted you. And then the last one is this. Think about this question. How has God used me to share his comfort with others? If you can't think of an answer to that one, let me encourage you to ask God to reshape your thinking when it comes to affliction and to give you a listening ear. I have had to pray that so often. God, help me to listen carefully to what my brothers and sisters are saying. Because if I listen carefully, I'm going to hear about their affliction. If I'm, a, if I'm kind of a safe place for people to share, which means I'm, I'm, I'm listening actively, I'm going to be a, a place where folks are going to pretty quickly say, Tom, let me tell you how I'm struggling. Because they're, they're looking for comfort in their affliction, and I can be used by God. That's what Paul says here. I can be used by God in order to bring them the same comfort that God brought me. Brothers and sisters, we live in a world of affliction. But it's not a haphazard. It's not a, a fate. It's not a chance. It's not a, it's not I feel a shift in the force. <laughs> It's our Heavenly Father who allows these struggles to come because he knows that he's going to strengthen us through them. He knows he's going to comfort us, but he also knows that he's going to use us to comfort others. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you this morning for this word. Lord, we, in our culture, in the 21st century America, we run from affliction. It's a bad word. We do not like it. It is not helpful at all. We love comfort. We love security as we define it. Those are a couple of our idols or a couple of my idols. I will, I will freely confess to that. And Father, I pray that you would reshape my thinking, that you would reshape our thinking, that we would not just be reminded this morning by your word, but that we would be transformed this morning by your word to understand that in affliction there is grace and in struggle there is comfort 
And in suffering, there's an opportunity to care for others. Father, we pray that you would create that community here at Green Tree Community Church through your grace, through your power, and through your strength. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.